Walking in the Light. First John and the Path to Living Deeply in Christ. This is part 27. We started this last Sunday morning, keeping the spirit of bondage out. And the text we're looking at, you'll need a Bible today. I have a lot of texts that I want to look at, study, compare, and see some interesting things in. So if you're watching live stream or here, open it up, turn it on, whatever you do, and follow along with me. The text is 1 John 5, 18 to 20. 1 John 5, 18 to 20, keeping the spirit of bondage out. Let me read, starting at verse 18. For we, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. That's what we spent all last Sunday morning on, right there. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. I want to look at that in a minute. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So you see these two camps. 20. And we know, this is the third time he said, no, we know something. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So the central point from last week's teaching, it's online, was John highlights right off the bat the complete antithesis between a heart that delights in following Christ and a heart that delights in continuing in sin. It's not that we're perfect or sinless, but you, you can't keep on sinning. If you want to follow Christ, you can't have a foot in both camps. And it's the way he says, we know this. We know, verse 18, that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. It's like John saying, this just goes without saying. I'm sure everybody understands that, but just in case you don't, that's what he's doing here. So the Christian may be tripped up at some point, but he doesn't live where he falls. He confesses, he weeps, he draws near again to Christ. He nourishes his weak heart with the word, with prayer, with strength and fellowship in the body of Christ. No, if you're going to follow Christ, get the idea out of your head that you can somehow persist in some area of willful disobedience. You can't do it, John says. But, but, but there's more. I mean, John doesn't want me just to get clean and saved. He wants me to stay clean and close to Jesus. And that's where we're going in today's teaching. So this is picking up at point number two, okay, from last Sunday morning's message. Point number two, how the spirit of bondage is kept out of your life. I'm looking at that 18th verse. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, notice these words, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. It's interesting, that's a very tricky verse to translate from the Greek into English, and you can tell that 
looking at the way different translations, the ones we carry to church, it's interesting to see what they do with that 18th verse. I'm just going to highlight a few of them because I want you to see the distinction. And it's not a troubling one once you understand it. Here's the New King James Version. But he who is born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. New American Standard. But the one who was born of God keeps him. See the difference? And the evil one does not touch him. Christian Standard Bible. I've been using this a lot lately. I like it. But the one who is born of God keeps him. And the evil one does not touch him. NIV. The one who was born of God keeps him safe. And the evil one cannot cannot harm him. It weakens it a little bit. I've had people ask me questions about those verses. Some people are really troubled by the fact that some of the translations make it look like I must, I must keep myself, while others make it look like Jesus is the one who does the keeping. And so the question obviously is, which is it? Well, we know from other passages of Scripture that both the Lord and I were both involved in protecting and nurturing my life. That's why I think it's important to get the whole picture here because there are different sets of verses in the New Testament that can trouble people. There are verses that emphasize God's protecting, keeping work in my life. Look at John 10, 27 to 29. Now I'm going to look at a few passages of Scripture. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my father has given me is greater than all else. And no one can snatch it out of the father's hand. Pretty clear. The keeping power of the father. Well, Jesus first and then the father mentioned secondly. Look at John 17, 11 and 12. This is Jesus in his prayer to the Father, coming to the end of his life. And Jesus says, And now I am no longer in the world, but there in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, Holy Father, protect them in your, in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Pretty clear, the keeping power of God. Here's what everybody knows. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. So there's just three. You could have gone through lots. God keeps, God protects, God guards. But there's another side, and there's another set of verses. And they're both true. You know this one. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Who does the keeping in this verse? We do. Look at these words. 
Paul. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air. But I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Pretty clear, a lot of work, a lot of effort. Paul works hard at this, he says. If that confuses you a bit, there's also verses to put the keeping power of God and ourselves in the same passage. Look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation. There it is. With fear and trembling. For... It is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 2 Timothy 1, 11 to 14. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I'm sure that he is able, he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound, sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard, who does this? Guard the good treasure entrusted to you. Oh, with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. That's enough. How do we tie this up? Keeping the spirit of bondage out. God does keeping, protecting work. We keep ourselves. We work. And then other passages, we keep ourselves and God keeps us at the same time as we keep ourselves. Let me tie some of these loose ends up. A, here's what we know for sure. There is opposition, so care has to be taken. If we're going to keep the spirit of bondage out, if we're going to stay close to Jesus, verse 19 of our text said, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Think about that for a minute. It's not just that Satan has a little bit of influence. If what John says is true, he, he dominates he dominates the values of the culture we live in. He, he orchestrates things. He organizes entertainment and video games and, and books and podcasts and websites. He, he puts things together. There's a the spiritual power that puts things together to, to make sure that his values are the values that are most visible in the culture. That's what he does. The whole world lies, 19, in the power of the evil one. So he orchestrates things against the values of Christ, against the values of God's people. I mean, he does make it clear. He does make it clear that Satan doesn't have open, direct access to God's children. I, I put a lot of stock in that 18th verse. 
the evil one does not touch him. I, I have, it's not a secret if you've been in the church for years, this is the issue I have with a ministry called Cleansing Stream. The theology behind Cleansing Stream is that, is that uh, it's a ministry to help people with problems and addictions, and the idea behind it is that you are body, soul, and spirit. And while Satan can't get into your spirit, because that's where the Holy Spirit lives, he does get into your soul. The problem with that is the Bible, while it does in verses list those three things, it doesn't list them in absolute categories. It doesn't make those kind of clear distinctions. And so the idea is that Satan gets into your soul, and so you can't be free of your problems because Satan's in there. Um, I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't say, greater is he that is in you than the other one who is in you. Aren't you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's where he works. So for those following Christ, the spirit of Christ lives in, John says the evil one does not, does not touch him. But he holds great influence. He's clever. This world is constructed and organized to divert my attention from God and especially from the uniqueness of his son, Jesus Christ. There's, there's, so there's nothing, John wants to make sure we understand, there's nothing passive or neutral about the spiritual state of this world. There's, there's, there's stuff going on that is beyond the things you see visibly. And he wants to make that clear. So the world doesn't just sit there. It's, it's the, the world in which you live, the culture in which you live, is set up in such a way that Satan is always making suggestions. He's, he's questioning God. He's minimizing holiness. He is... This world, this world is not just entertaining you. It is constantly bargaining with you for your loyalty, for your security, for your happiness. That process of the temptation, remember, of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness, it's repeated in living rooms and homes, in classrooms, in, in workplaces all over the world. I will give you all of this if you'll just worship me. He's never changed his tune. Martin Lloyd-Jones brilliantly said, the world, it's a very inclusive term in the scriptures, but it is ultimately anything, ultimately anything that tries to make us feel satisfied without God. That's brilliant. Anything that tries to make me feel satisfied without God, that's the world. So John's already described, of course, we looked at it, that process, all that is in the world, 216, the, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches. This comes not from the Father but from the world. And now he says the, that whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
So B, John says, only Jesus Christ can deliver us from Satan and his dominion over this world. True enough, certain levels of moral reform are possible for anyone, atheists, believers alike. But, but nowhere in his epistle does John offer any hope for spiritual life apart from God's grace in Jesus Christ. That's what he was saying in verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So, so every person, every person has to come to terms with this very specific truth. I, I can no more, I can no more give myself spiritual rebirth. I can no more give myself that than I can give myself physical birth. You couldn't do that. You can't bring yourself into the world. And John's saying this, this spiritual life, life, that comes from God through Christ. And, and, as, and as though it's, it's not quite enough to say it like that, he says the same thing in stronger terms. If you have the Son, you have life. And then he says, and it doesn't get said as much, of course, anymore. And, and if, you, if you don't have the Son, you can read it, right? It's right there. If you don't have the Son, you, you don't have life. You don't have life. You don't have eternal life. Every person has to come to terms with that. The, the, the whole New Testament is written to emphasize this work of God in giving spiritual life in Jesus Christ. We, have, we haven't got a, another message besides that one. I was reading Colossians 1, 12, and 13. Here's how it works giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He rescued us from, see that? The power of darkness. That's how Paul describes the culture you live in all the time. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and look at this, transferred us. I love the verbs transformed us formed us into the kingdom of his beloved son peter says the same thing you're a chosen race you a royal priesthood a holy nation god's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who, here's the same idea, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That should be now you have received mercy. See. 
when I come to Jesus, I must follow him into all righteousness. So, so it's one thing to come to Jesus. There's coming, and then there's following. And it, it's very easy, it's very easy for a church to so stress the preciousness of coming to Christ that we can give the impression that that's all there is, that's all there is to it. I got saved. There's coming to Christ and there's following Christ. I've been, I've been so helped as I was working through 1 John. I have a, a great old commentary. It's 100 years old by Robert Candlish. I've quoted it a couple of times. I want to just read one more quote from him on how spiritual life is to be cherished and how it's to be kept aflame. Again, it's kind of old English, but you can follow it. Here's what he says. The risk of relaxed diligence in keeping ourselves as born of God lies mainly in this. Our ceasing, that is becoming less fully conscious to regard sin as exceedingly sinful and the doom of sin as inevitably certain. Hence, in order to keep ourselves, it is of the utmost consequence, first of all, that we truly and fully apprehend that we are to keep ourselves as being born of God and it is of equal consequence, secondly, that we truly and fully apprehend the absolute incompatibility of our continuing in sin and being born of God. Understanding where the temptation lies. The temptation is very strong to begin to think that in some form or degree, sin may not be altogether damaging to our spiritual life as born of God or altogether fatal to our heavenly calling as having eternal life. The instant such a thought finds harbor in our minds, all our faithfulness in keeping ourselves will be gone. I will keep myself in due proportion as I apprehend with growing vividness all the holy blessedness that there is in being born of God on the one hand and on the other, all that there is in sin, in one sin, in any sin of deep and deadly malignity, making it the essence of foulness and separation from God. If this is done in my heart, with increasing sensitivity, I will be keeping myself as one born of God. I, I don't know about you. What I wrestle with dealing with my own heart, what I wrestle with is, is the tendency to think because I've read something 
or because I agree with something or because I know something that I'm automatically living in the power of that truth in my daily life. That, that just because I have the understanding of a concept, that that means I'm living in the power of that concept. And those old words from uh, Robert Candlish. I had an experience recently, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. Watching something on, I forget which service it was, watching a program, a drama. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, these two people are yelling at each other, and this one's just using the F word to this one. And, and, and here's what bugged me. I, I immediately thought, if, if I had been a kid, when we had a little 18-inch black and white television, do you remember those? You had the little aerials and you moved them around and you try and get a picture, get them in the right place. And you had, you had CTV and CBC. Take your pick. But if we had ever been watching something on TV and I'd ever heard that kind of language, well, you too, we, you'd fall off your chair, right? If it's 1962 and you heard that kind of thing. And so here, here I'm watching and I, and I thought, this doesn't even rock people anymore. So, so what does that do with what, with what John is saying here. And what Robert Candlish is saying about those verses, that if you're going to stay close to Jesus, it really requires, I like the way he said, vivifying even one sin. I recognize I grew up with a lot of legalism where worldliness was uh, depending on, if you're a woman, it was the shade of lipstick you wore and whether you had earrings that were little ones or dangly earrings. I can remember when we first came to Newmarket in the choir, there was a rule. You could have little pierced earrings, but you couldn't have danglers. There, that was, you were on the way to perdition. So I remember when the worldliness thing got all bent out of shape. I remember that. But I'm not sure that was more dangerous than this idea where anything goes. I'm not sure it was more dangerous. I think it might have been a, a kind of a foolish attempt to keep people on the straight and narrow. But boy, the, the heart that John is talking about here, keeping the spirit of bondage out. And I would just say this, if, if you get to the place where you can just recognize worldliness, that Lloyd-Jones quote, it'll be online in the sermon soon. Worldliness is anything that helps me find satisfaction in life without God. You just won't go very far wrong with that. We want to stay close to Jesus, don't we, church? Yeah, yeah, we do. And so, Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for your keeping power, the emphasis on that in the scriptures. I thank you for the emphasis on keeping our own hearts diligently, 
And thank you for the way that Paul brings those things together. There really is no counting on divine help for a lazy heart. And so we, we just want to draw close to you, Jesus. Sent you at work in our hearts, giving us a deeper love for Jesus and a growing and a growing distaste for all that would draw our hearts from Him. So we want to be joyful, and we want to be careful as we follow You. In Jesus' name, I pray.